want to second what brother um, a couple of things brother max said number one we are thankful he's home and his parents are doing well that's a blessing and we rejoice over that the bible says to rejoice with those that rejoice and to weep with those that weep and we'd a whole lot rather rejoice and so when we get good news let's rejoice over it hallelujah and uh, then guests we are thankful that you're here if this is your first time or your returning guests we're so glad for you being here for all of you so thankful Matthew chapter 5, last week we dealt with chapter 4 and 5 and the difference between multitudes and disciples and how oftentimes the desire of the multitude is to have, but the desire of a disciple is to be. And there's nothing wrong with needing things from the Lord, but at some point we should leave the multitude and become a disciple. And that focus is, is that we will be like him. So we're going to read a passage that was dealt with significantly during the missions conference. And beginning in verse number 14, just want to read three, these three verses to you. Matthew 5 verse 14, ye are the light of the world. Remember that he's talking about those who desire to be you, the, the disciples, the ones that have come out from the multitude. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The thought this morning is this, the look of light, the look of light. Lord, we've already prayed multiple times in different ways and just ask you again that you please bless your word and our attention to it and help us to be clear, help us to understand and help us to be responsive in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing at this time. We'll have a special. Thank you. 
trophies that somehow were this hope and mercy I don't deserve it's grace amazing so rich and free that covers me it covers me defeat it's not the ending when death we meet it's only triumph and victory as one will sing as one will Savior, and we should never lose sight of just how far he reached for us. Say, how far did he reach? Well, he came to the cross, died, look at from one outstretched hand to another, and that's how far he reached for us, and so thankful for that. Well, we are blessed to have in our, in our church family and to be acquainted with, even in my own family, and in your families, we have a, a very rich military heritage, and we have, uh, we have folks who have gone through the transformative work of basic training. So in case, in case you were wondering, um, uh, you don't show up at basic training and tell your drill sergeant, I'm good, bro. Or if your drill sergeant happens to be a lady, I'm good, girl. <laughs> it's not how that works. <laughs> Y'all think I'm being silly. I'm being real. <laughs> my, dad, my dad tells me this story when he was getting on the bus 
to go to basic, the, the drill instructor was outside the bus like he was everybody's favorite person or they were his favorite people. It's like, hey, it's so great to have you, like you're going to summer camp or something. Like, man, we're so glad you're here. And we're just, man, it's great. Come on board. There's a seat for you. Oh, this, yeah, yeah, it's great, great. As soon as that dude got on the bus, turned into a psychopath. <laughs> and you're sitting there like, what happened to the guy outside? We want him back. We thought we were going to be singing Kumbaya or something. It was interesting about, about basic training is that there is always a very noticeable difference before and after. There is. And I thought it would be fun if we could see that. Yeah, let's see, let's see what we got going on here. Yeah, you got, you can't see this guy, but he's wearing, he's wearing red shorts and white calf-length socks with sandals, which is a no-no. Just go to fashion basic training or something anyway. Okay, next one, please. This guy, yeah, let's see another one. Yeah, I'm sorry, they're a little blurry, I'm sorry. Let's, let's look at another one. This one was a really cool story. This guy worked at McDonald's and then, I believe, joined the Marine Corps. And just, it's great. For, uh, there's nothing wrong with him. The point is that there's a noticeable difference, isn't there? Yep, the difference. There's a, there's, a difference in, there's a difference in appearance. There's a difference in posture. There's a difference in behavior. There's a difference in self-discipline and personal responsibility, and in the way you structure, the way you behave yourself, there's a difference, and it's noticeable. Okay, one more. Let's, let's see if we got, oh, yeah, we actually have two more. I like this guy because he has a mullet, <laughs> and then he doesn't. Next, one more. One more. Man, this guy looks familiar. Man, who is that? Yeah, I know, it's Brother Timmerman right there. Man. Look at man, look at this guy right here holding that football. Man, he's kind of studly. <laughs> and then he joined basic training and they told him he wasn't studly. <laughs> Is that a pretty fair assessment? They were they impressed with you when you showed up? No. <laughs> I'm impressed with Brother Mike. They were not impressed with Brother Mike when he showed up. Like, I'm here. You came. We're so glad to have you. No, that's not how it worked. And so he goes from chill, laid back, obviously talented, just, and you, you kind of have your, your own way. And this would be fair. All of you who've been through basic training would, would agree with this. You have your own way of thinking, doing, believing, behaving, all of those sorts of things but then you come out like this, and so whether it's the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Coast Guard, the Marines, whatever it is, whatever basic training you go through, while there are unique elements of that basic training, there is a specific difference before and after. You come out looking a very specific way. You come out, hopefully, handling yourself a very specific way. All right. You can take those pictures down. Here's the, here's the point. The military has a look. It's almost like, have you ever seen somebody and you're like, eh, they just kind of seem like they're in the military. Yeah. 
it requires a look. Okay, the military doesn't ask you how long you want your hair to be. The military doesn't ask you whether or not you're motivated to iron your clothes and crease your pants. The military doesn't ask you how you want to walk in formation. Okay, let's, let's have a vote. How many of you are in favor of doing it this way? <laughs> I am enjoying this more than you all are. Sorry. They require... And they, mm, and they don't apologize for it. They require a look. The military doesn't just require a presentation, but they require a look in thinking. They require an awareness of detail and of others and of uh, accountability and of commitment to a mission. They require that you behave yourself and that you remember that you represent something greater than yourself. If, please, if you've been there or if you're a part of that, you know what I'm saying is true. They require this of you. From the, the way you physically look to the way that you behave, the military requires a look. It does. Not only that, the military produces a look. It just kind of, for those who've been through it, been in it, it just becomes a part of, it becomes a way of thinking, doesn't it? If you've been in it. Now, some of you say, well, man, I, I was so excited to get out and not shave or whatever. Okay, I understand that. But it still impacts your thinking. It, it still affects the way that you do things and the way that you go about certain tasks. The military has a look. And we're talking about more than a physical appearance. We're talking about a way of life. And that way of life is demanded at the beginning. And then over long periods of investment and training, it eventually is produced. So I love this. Early on, when you're first getting on the bus, it's like they put the fear in you, and you basically begin to feel like this idea of we're going to break you down and build you up, and their goal is just to make you feel helpless and small and pathetic. And then they're going to make you do a lot of push-ups, run a lot, do a lot of monotonous things over and over again, and then they're going to make you have positive, uh, be able to think positively about yourself and to have purpose. So in the beginning, they require it. It's demanded, but eventually it's produced so that it comes out of you. You understand that people have been in the military a long time who are being successful in it. They don't have a drill sergeant in their ear yelling at them the whole time because it's coming, it's coming from someplace different. It's been produced in them. It's burned in them. Well, in verse... 13, or excuse me, 14 through 16, Jesus has told the disciples that they are to be the light of the world. And we're familiar with the theme Brighter at Home because of our missions conference, and this is what we're doing with the tracks, one track a week per family. How many of you have been working on it? Just throw your hands up real quick. I didn't say you're perfect at it, you're just working on that. We all need to be working on that. This is what we're trying to do and encourage with the outreach class. We're trying to be the light. Jesus said in verse number 16, if I may summarize, let the world see my light in you so that they can then see me. You know, the point, the point is not 
that we're trying to make a name for ourselves. The point is not that we're trying to lift ourselves up. And when Jesus said, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, a candle is not to be put under a bushel, it's supposed to light the entire house. The, the point is not that we become great among men. The point is not that people know who I am or know who we are or know who you are. The point is not to magnify ourselves. The point is that we live our lives in such a visible way and that our actions are so accurately representative of who Jesus Christ is, that they see us and they recognize whether or not they can identify the source immediately, they recognize there is something unique and different about the way this person acts, the way this person thinks, the way this person behaves, the way this person conducts themselves. There's something so unique about them. And then that eventually results in what the text says, that they may glorify God. The idea is that they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's ultimately how you glorify God. That's what his desire is, is that people be saved. And so people see the light of Jesus in you, and through that light, they are drawn into a relationship with with the Savior. Well, there's an important word in verse number 16. We notice it in the middle there where it says that they may see, to observe, to take notice, the lost world should be able to notice, to notice your works. But following Jesus Christ is not meant to be a secret thing. No, I understand that people in, in some countries and things like that, you have to meet in secret. But God did not give us a relationship with him to hide it from everybody. It's meant to be visible. You say, sometimes I'm awkward and sometimes I'm embarrassed and all of those things. I work through those things. Yeah, I get that. I understand that. And to one degree or another, people have different things that they have to, that they have to go through, different things that they have to, different challenges that they might face, and yours might be in that particular area. But the faith of Jesus Christ was not given you to hide. It is to be visible. Its effect, now, this is a better way to say it, the effect of Jesus Christ upon your life is to be visible. It is to be obvious in such a way that it can be observed, can be seen. Have you ever tried to point someone out, something out to someone that couldn't see it? Like looking at the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, and then you're just arguing. No, I'm telling you, that star, that star, and that star. No, you're looking at it wrong. You just don't see it. Sometimes believers live lives like an, a hard-to-observe constellation. There's nothing distinguishable about our relationship with Jesus Christ. But his effect upon us, the effect of our relationship upon us, is to be manifested so that others might observe it. They can see there is something that they're supposed to notice. We notice in verse number 16 as well that they may see, see, see what? We'll see your good works. This refers to how you live your life. I'm, I'm so thankful that the Bible is clear that salvation is not earned, it is received. The, the song we just sang illustrates or communicates the doctrine of salvation. 
I'm saved because he reached for me, and in faith all I could do was believe on Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done, and that's how a person is saved. That's how you receive eternal life. It's not anything that we do. And any right-thinking child of God that is here this morning or watching online, you're participating in these services not out of fear that you, not, might, not be a good, that you might not be good enough. You are operating out of faith that you are going through these things, and you are a part of a church, and you participate in these activities and these actions, not out of fear that you might lose it, but out of love for the one who gave you so much in salvation. We don't serve because we're trying to earn his favor. You can't possibly earn his favor. He gives it to you. And we receive it by faith. It's wonderful. It's amazing how many people so sadly are living their life, their spiritual life in frustration because they think that they have to earn the favor of God. You can't possibly earn it. He gives it through Jesus Christ. But, but, once you have a relationship, it should produce work. It's just simple. My children don't have to earn my favor. <laughs> I love them. I love them. I love them. Because they are say, well, what do they do that makes you love them? They are. When they were just these little blobs. <laughs> I loved them. And now that they're turning into these beautiful women, ugh, and men, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still love them. Do you love them because of what they're becoming? No, I'm thankful for what they're becoming. I love them because they are. But then I also teach them this. Hey, you're a pile. You better, listen, it may not be the greatest name in the world, but it means a whole lot to me. Because I know where my dad and mom came from. I know what my wife's family that kind of stands and prices that they've paid to establish cycles and to break cycles and to make a good life for the people that come after them. I know the kind of price they've paid for faith in Jesus Christ. And so on my wife's side and on my side, that name means something. No, you didn't, you didn't have to do anything to receive it, but you better honor it. You know what our desire should be? Not because you're going to lose it, but because of how much has been given to us, we want to honor it. We want to honor that name. So you know what we do? We work. We do things to bring attention to how good he is. Your works, how you live your life, how, how you go about your business. And, and um, Jesus was on purpose so specific and yet so broad in this. Some, some believers sometimes get themselves hung up on, well, I don't do the Lord's work. No, any work that a child of God is supposed to be doing is the Lord's work. And so, young people, if you're supposed to be doing your schoolwork, that's the Lord's work. If you're supposed to be cleaning your room, that's the Lord's work. If you're supposed to be handing out a track, that's the Lord's work. You're supposed to be working your job. That's the Lord's work. You're supposed to be, I appreciated this reminder, brother. You're supposed to be greeting guests. How do I know if they're a guest? Well, if you don't know them, assume they're a guest and say hi to them. And then you'll figure it out from there. 
That's the Lord's work. I see somebody that needs help with something at their house. That's the Lord's work. I see someone who's obviously distraught, and I just feel led to go up to him and maybe give him a track or ask him if I can pray for him. That's the Lord's work. I'm sitting in traffic, and I want to have a bad attitude. Having a good attitude and praising him is the Lord's work. Hmm, That's good. That got a little too close to home for me, so I need to move on. Whatever work, whatever life, whatever opportunity the Lord has provided you to do and to be involved in, and whether that's with your family in serious time or fun time, whether that's with your job and being promoted or being steady, being faithful though unnoticed, whether it's doing your schoolwork or having a right kind of attitude when your parents tell you no or tell you yes, having a right testimony with your peers, whatever it is, that is the Lord's work for your life. I get so weary of this idea of preaching from preachers that say, well, the greatest thing that anyone could ever do is to preach the word of God. Not everybody's supposed to do that. And God doesn't have a hierarchy. He doesn't have certain people here and certain people here. Whatever you're doing, if it's what the Lord wants you to do, that's the Lord's work. And it's all good. Here's the point. It's to be done in a way... That magnifies him. That men may see your good works and glorify. They should be able to see what you're doing, how you're, how you're doing it. Please get this and identify it as light from God. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the way someone conducts themselves at the job should reflect what Jesus Christ has done in them. The way someone interacts in their marriage should reflect what Jesus Christ has done in them. The way someone faces adversity in their health or other areas should reflect what Jesus Christ has done in them. They may see it. They see the work of your life. And they're drawn. They're shown Jesus Christ. Well, here's a question. How can they identify my works as light from God? It's a fair question. Well, the answer is this. Though it's not stated here, it's demonstrated. The answer is this. Because of how it looks. You say, how, can you, how can you tell when you're in a, when you're in a, a restaurant, when you're in Chick-fil-A, or Taco Bell, or Freddy's, three of the greatest places on earth. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Dave. Feel that right up here? Yeah, that's good. How can you, how can you tell when someone from the military walks in? You ready? You ready? It's how they look. <laughs> Did the... Did the uniform give it away? Yes. <laughs> they looked. You hang out with someone for a while and you just you notice things about them. You say, man, were you in the military? And oftentimes, yes. I've had people ask me before, were you in the military? No, but my parents were. And so there's, there's something about that that is produced. It affects the way that you present yourself, that you carry yourself, that, that it affects the way that you look. 
And so by how they look, you recognize that. Well, the same principle is true for those who follow Jesus Christ, the way that the lost world can identify the light that is in you as coming from God and as drawing their attention to God is a result of how it looks. Here's the point. Light has a look. We made the statement at the beginning that the military requires and produces a specific look. Well, the light of Jesus Christ is meant to produce a specific look in the hearts and in the lives of those who have trusted him as their savior. His life in you, and you don't, you don't earn his life, and you don't maintain his life, and you don't keep his life. You don't have to do anything in order to maintain, in order for him to accept you as a child of God. Here's the distinction between the military and being a child of God. In the military, if you behave yourself dishonorably, then you will become what they call dishonorably discharged. And it's not a good thing. Hence the word dishonorably, meaning with shame and disgrace, they will remove you because you did not live up to the standard. I'm so thankful for the sufficiency of the grace of God, for the, for the all-encompassing forgiveness that Jesus accomplished on the cross, that it doesn't matter how many times one of his children fail, we can never fail so much that we no longer have a place with him and that we're no longer his daughters or no longer his sons. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as long as your sin fits under the umbrella of that description all, then he will forgive you and you can never live in such a way that you're no longer his child. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for it. But too many of God's children take advantage of the grace of God. The grace of God was not meant to be a free ticket so that you can just go out and do whatever you want to do. Hey, I got my free ticket. I'm going to go party. I got my free ticket. I'm going to live sexually however I want. I got my free ticket. I'm going to indulge this vice. I got my free ticket. I'll be here when I want to, and I won't be here when I don't want to. I got my free ticket. I'll have whatever attitude I want to have. I'll be grumpy. I won't work on this. I've got my free ticket, grace. Now, I'm thankful that his grace forgives, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose, in part, is to give you the ability to overcome those things so that your life would reflect in the light of Jesus Christ in you is meant Please get this. It's meant to produce a specific look. Now, there are churches today that have this attitude. You know, kind of like the imaginary drill sergeant. Yeah, you just, we want to be a church where everybody just comes and you just live out your truth. That's the trendy thing, has been for a while. Hey, you tell me what your truth is, and I'll adjust to that. I'll be a your truth pastor. You need me to change, me do something differently, put on some loafers, get a stool, wear the shorts with the knee-high socks and some flip-flops. I mean, I'll just, I will adjust to your truth. And that's the way a lot of churches are doing it today. Hey, we'll find out what you need. We'll find out what you want. Here's what they're saying. We'll find out what you want light to look like. You define what light looks like. You define what the light of Jesus Christ in you should look like. You tell us what that produces. 
You tell us what you're comfortable with. You tell us how, how this makes you feel. And this is stretching me a little too much. Or this isn't, you know, I really, I'm really just, I'm just good right here. You tell us what you want, and then we'll make that the standard for your life. That can be your truth. Here's the problem with that. Jesus Christ never once allowed his disciples to define or asked his disciples to define what following him was supposed to look like. He defined it for them. When he said this, take up your cross and follow me. He defined it. So as a communicator of the word of God, I don't have the authority or the leeway to allow anyone else, let alone myself, to define what following Jesus is supposed to look like. Because he defined it. And here, you know what he does? He defines what light looks like. This is amazing. I love the structure of scripture. We just read the last part where he sums it up and he says, be the light of the world. Well, Lord, what does the light look like? He just told them. If you look in verse number two, he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Jesus gives a very specific description of what light looks like. Let me read through this and then we'll give very quick summary statements of each point. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, again, no author about the Bible is ever going to be 100% accurate, but there's an author who sums up these statements and these characteristics very well. I'm not dealing with them in depth this morning. We might get to that in the weeks ahead. But I just want to summarize this in verse number three, the poor in spirit. William Barclay would say this, Blessed is the man who has realized his own utter helplessness and who has put his whole trust in God. In verse 4, those who mourn, Blessed is the man who is desperately sorry for his own sin and his own unworthiness and who mourns for the suffering of the world caused by sin. You know, someone who truly understands the depth of salvation and what it cost Jesus Christ, sin is a big deal to you. Not that you need to be guilty of it because he's removed that guilt, but it's no laughing matter because you know someone had to die for it. You know, I, I do this with my children when, you know how it is, when they're little and cute and everything they do is cute. And, and it's sometimes true that the naughty things are more cute than the good things. Are you with me? And man, I'm with Jaren, I'm just fighting it. Because he's a, he's a little devil sometimes. And man, he just he's looking at me like, Dad, I know you think this is cute. And I'm just, 
just fighting it inside. And then, and then I think about this, and, and I'm not making this up. I think about these things. When he's disobeyed and he's kind of smirking about it, I think this, Jesus had to die for that. Whether he fully comprehends the magnitude of it, I understand he doesn't. Jesus still had to die for that. And so that helps me to get serious, and I'll look at him, look through the cuteness, and I'll say, Jaron, it's not funny. Buddy, Jesus had to die for that sin when you disobeyed mom. Jesus had to die in order to save you from the consequences of that and from the presence of that. And you can see, he doesn't understand the magnitude, but the severity of it begins to sink in. And it's good that we understand, not that we're under the condemnation of sin, but sin is not something to be laughed at, to be mocked, to be exalted. It should be mourned because of what it cost our Savior. And it should be mourned because of people that are suffering. You say, what is the problem in the world today? And you could give political reasons and medical reasons and socioeconomic reasons and disparity reasons. The problem can be summed up in one word. The problems are a consequence of sinfulness. People who mourn, they understand that this world is hurting ultimately because of sin. And they mourn for that. In verse 5, the meek, blessed is the woman who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time and who has every passion under control because she herself is God-controlled who has the humility to recognize her own ignorance and her own weakness. And you say, why'd you say a woman there? Because I'm going back and forth. These apply to all of God's people. And how many of us men, we are angry when we want to be angry. And we allow our frustration with things not being the way we want to control us rather than being under control, being under God's control. As the quote says, we, are, we, we have control over ourselves because we are under God's control and we have the humility to recognize that we are weak. Meekness, verse 6, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who long for total righteousness. As a starving man longs for food, and a man perishing of thirst longs for water. What's the hungriest you've ever been? What's the thirstiest you've ever been? I've gone on some kind of long bike ride or hike and forgotten to take water. And... Not that my life was even remotely in danger, but even when not taking enough, you know how lousy that can make you feel. You, you hunger for God's transformative power in you so much that it's like the, the food that you need to survive. The merciful, in verse 7, blessed are those who get inside of other people until they can see with their eyes, think with their thoughts, and feel with their feelings. Man, our world could use a whole lot of this. The mercy of God towards our fellow man. This is what we do. We look at people, and because they're not like us, so they have different opinions than us, we automatically assume they're not worth it. Instead of trying to understand why they think the way they do and what is producing this and what's going on in their life so that, then, so that we can then demonstrate to them the grace of God, See things from their perspective. Understand their suffering. Verse 8, the pure in heart. 
Blessed is the one whose motives are absolutely pure. And they're doing things before God for the right reasons. Verse 9, the peacemakers. Behold, blessed are those who produce right relationships between man and God and man and man. They're not stirring up strife. They're not stirring up animosity. They're not posting this and this in order to keep it burning. They're not telling this person this thing and this person this thing and venting over here and doing this over here. No, they're all about helping people be at peace with one another and doing what they can to keep the peace. And the greatest way you can help people to be at peace is to give them the gospel. And then it talks about those who suffer. In verse 10 and 11, blessed is the believer who has to suffer something for his faith because that is the way to the closest possible companionship with Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus said, let the world see your light so they can see me, he had a very specific look in mind. You know what that look was? Humility, meekness, mercy, righteousness, perseverance through suffering. In order for them to see my light, you have to know what my light looks like. And there it is. You know what's amazing about this? And I I think I'm going to deal with this in an an entire message, but just briefly, and and then we'll wrap it up. What's amazing about this is that in these characteristics, Jesus said nothing about the way a person looks. You know what he said? He talked about the way a person is and how it affects the way they interact with others. And so much of Christianity has become look like this. But you said light has a look. Yeah, light has a look. And it starts in the heart and it manifests itself in the way you approach God and the way you approach people. That's how light looks. The light of Jesus Christ shows up in mercy. The light of Jesus Christ shows up in peacemaking. The light of Jesus Christ shows up in a desire for righteousness and a mournful heart over sin and the consequences of it. The light of Jesus Christ is born out in your approach to God and the way you manifest and the way you interact with people. So here's, here's the question. Does your life look like his light? Say it this way, is his light showing up in your marriage? Husbands, does your wife see the light of Jesus Christ in you? In patience, in leadership, in compassion, in mercy, in the direction that spiritually, the tone that you're setting for your family. Ladies, Does your husband and do your children see the light of Jesus Christ? Do they see the evidence of meekness and a spirit that is under control? And that is being, that is deliberately under the power of God. Moms and dads, do your children see the light of Jesus Christ in you? You say, well, they can't identify all of that, right? But can they see? Can they notice? Do they notice something similar about what, they, what they're hearing taught there, taught in here? And can they see some of that being lived out in your home? One of the great tragedies of faith is that you bring your children to hear a teacher tell them about how Jesus is, and then you live a completely different life in front of them. 
And here's why there's so much confusion. They don't know what the light's supposed to look like. They're told the light looks this way here, but it's demonstrated differently over here. What does the light look like? Well, Jesus tells us, and it has nothing to do with whether you're at church or home. It has to do with being his child. Can your neighbors see the light? Here's the reason why I don't put bumper stickers. I'm gonna try. You say you got some bumper stickers. I have a one from Oklahoma, which was from the guy. The guy put it on there that I bought it from. And then I have some golden lips on the tailgate that someone graciously put on my tailgate because they care for me. <laughs> you know why? You know why I'm not using. And I'm not opposed to people who do. I just want you to understand how I think. I'm not trying to advertise every single thing that I think. I want people to know the, the thing that's most important, and that's the light of Jesus Christ. And everybody needs that. I, just, I know I preached on this Wednesday. I just want to remind you of this. You better guard against identifying who needs the light of Jesus Christ based on political affiliation, because everybody needs it. And you can, you can share some political beliefs with people who are going to die and go to hell if they don't know Jesus Christ. And at some point, rather than always talking about what you agree on, you better bring up the Savior to them. And there are people that disagree with you very strongly that need the love of God. And they need to see light. Does your work see it? Does this community see it? Hey, I just, you know this is coming. And if you don't, you, you really do. I'm, I don't mean to be mean or brutal, but you really need to wake up. Our country is changing rapidly. And in all the right ways that we can fight against it and preserve what God has given us, we need to do that. But there are changes coming all around us, and they're happening. And you say, ah, we're in Idaho. It, it won't come here. No, a whole lot more has happened in Idaho than people ever thought would happen in Idaho. It's coming. And it's not just in this country. It's everywhere. I just want to ask you, what are people going to see? What are they going to see from here? You know what they need to see? His light. You know, when it's darkest, that's when the light can shine the brightest. So what does your light look like? Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I sure do appreciate your attention to the word of God. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please Please just have a moment. I know there's a lot of things you can think about and do right now. Please just have a moment, a serious moment of self-reflection. Two questions. And no one will come to you. I'm not going to call you out. I might acknowledge a hand being raised, but I'm not going to do anything to embarrass anybody. But if God has spoken to us, we, we should give him the courtesy of a response. The first question is this. Do you know that you have the light of Jesus Christ in you? And that is not a behavioral thing. That is a belief thing. Do you know that you have trusted in Jesus to be your savior? You say, I know that I have his light in me because I know there was a specific moment, a time, a period in my life when I know I recognize that I'm a sinner and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believed in him to save me. I believed in him that he died and that he rose again. I believe in him. He's my salvation. I believe in him. You know you have that light. 
because you have him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I wonder if there would be one person or maybe more that would say, I'm not sure that I have his light in me. I believe about him, but I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't know that I'm a child of God. I wonder if there would be some someone that would raise their hand. No one else is looking around, but you raise your hand and say, I'm not sure that I'm safe. Please pray for me. All I want to do is acknowledge it, and then you can put your hand right back down. You say, please pray for me. God bless you for being honest. Thank you. Uh, how about this? You say, the light of Jesus, I know I'm saved, but the light of Jesus Christ is not being manifested in my life in some way. What I'm demonstrating doesn't look like what he commanded. I have this attitude. I have this habit. I have this spirit. I have this response. I, I have this neglect. It doesn't look like the light of Jesus Christ. But I want it to. I want my kids to see it. I want my neighbors to see it. I want my companions at school to see it. I want my coworkers to see it. I, when I'm at Walmart or when I'm in the mall or wherever we can be, I, I want people to see my light. I, I want them to see the light of Jesus Christ, but it's not, my light is not consistent with his light. You say, there's some area when you're talking about those things. I know God convicted me about a specific area where how I'm living isn't reflective of his light. Would you please pray for me? I wonder if God's people would say, yeah, that's me. Yep, I see him. Yep, yep, yep. God bless you. Thanks for being honest. Well, Brother Nate's gonna sing. And as he does, if God has spoken to you in some way, you respond to him. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee. attention this way. I want to, real quick, I want to I paint an imaginary situation for you. You know, you, you take a track this week, and you, okay, you talk to your kids, all right, kids, you, you and your spouse, you talk, okay, we're going we're gonna to give out one track this week, and you go to a restaurant, and you're sitting in there eating, and you've got your track, 
kids and, and you make a big deal about it, you're training them and you're getting everybody on the same page and you're, and you're trying to develop it yourself. We're going to give this waitress, we're just going to mention it to this waitress or this waiter. Hey, we just wanted to give you an invitation to our church. At the very least, you just say, hey, just give you something. We appreciate you. And you're going to leave that at the end with the tip. But the entire time between arriving and when you give that track, you complain and you're critical. Is it, is it possible that somebody gets your food wrong or messes it up? Yeah. But there's a right way to handle that. Okay, apparently I need to preach on this. <laughs> there's a right way to handle it. And you know, there are more important things than that dish being exactly perfect. And sometimes, I know others have done this, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just eat it so that you can have a good testimony with someone. Look, passing out tracts all day is wonderful, but it's not going to compensate if we, if we aren't living out his light. It takes both. And the worst thing we could do is to be, it's, it's like the joke I make about my driving in a West Valley Baptist bumper sticker on there. Honking, yelling out the window, throwing tracks at people out the window. Get out the way and read this. It's not exactly confirming what I'm trying to make people aware of. The light has a look. The light does have a look. So make sure, let's make sure it's a process. Let's make sure our life is looking like his light. I sure do love you. Look forward to being back at church tonight at 5 o'clock for those interested and those that have already made the commitment. We have choir practice at 4, so Brother Nate will dismiss us in a song. And you have a great afternoon. God bless you. Let's close with the chorus of Thank You, Lord. Dismissed. We'll see you tonight.